You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. Today we live in, a, in the wake of all these changes. Christianity and, and its Jesus, it fell in the same way that all the other religions taken in by Rome did. If the bloody violence of Christianity's history has taught us anything, it's that we have to question the Christian theory of justified violence, including, and we're going to talk about this, redemptive violence. Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. This is episode 295, and our title is A Primer on Self-Affirming Nonviolence Part 2. Before we begin this week, I want to stop for a moment, and I want to ask for your support. Renewed Heart Ministries as a nonprofit organization working for a world of love and justice. And, and we need your support to, to keep bringing the kind of resources and analysis that Renewed Heart Ministries provides. Intersections between faith, love, compassion, and justice are needed right now more than ever. So please consider making a tax-deductible do- donation to Renewed Heart Ministries. And, and to do so, you go to our website, renewedheartministries.com, click Donate on the top right. Or if you prefer to make a, a donation by mail, our address is Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And to those of you out there who are, who are already supporting this ministry, I want to say thank you. We could not continue being a voice for change without your support. This week, we're continuing the series we began last week on self-affirming nonviolent resistance, and specifically the kind that was taught by Jesus. And in this second point, we're going to be considering the shift from what Christians originally taught about nonviolence, as we saw in part one, and what they began to teach after their social location changed when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Later in this series, I want to critique the Church Fathers' self-sacrificial nonviolence that we're about to that, that we looked at last week, and we'll revisit this week, uh, and compare it to what I believe is Jesus' self-affirming nonviolence. But for now. I just want you to note the contrast between early Christian nonviolence and the later use of violence, not as a periodic exception to, to, to Jesus' teaching, but it was the preferred method of, of converting non-Christians and changing uh, the world. So let's again read from uh, Christian teachers, uh, from their writings before the change. Again, this is origin. We Christians no longer take up sword against nation, nor do we learn war anymore, but we have ch- we have become the children of peace. Tertullian wrote, And shall the son of peace take part in the battle when it does not become him to even sue at law? And shall he apply the chain and the prison and the torture and the punishment who is not the avenger even of his own wrongs? And Hippolytus, anyone who has the power of the sword or who is a civil magistrate wearing the purple should desist or he should be rejected. And Hippolytus, remember, he recommended that the church even excommunicate those who were listed in the military or, 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 or took a political office even where, where they were responsible for wielding Rome's sword. And Arnobius wrote, it is rather to suffer wrong than uh, inflict it. We would rather shed our own blood than stain our hands or our conscience with that of another. And Arnobius, again, it makes no difference whether you put a man to death by word 
or rather by sword, since it is the act of putting to death itself, which is uh, uh, prohibited. And, and remember, we're going to critique the self-sacrificial part of this later, but for now, just see, just take in the the the, the stance the early uh, church fathers took on, on nonviolence. And again, uh, this phrase by Arnobius, by word, like Hippolytus above, he's referring to holding a political office where one commands a state of violence. And Lactanius, who is a tutor to Emperor Constantine's son, he's the last voice we we rat last writings that we read um, uh, in this vein. It says, when God forbids killing, he doesn't just ban murder. In some translations, they read uh, brigandage here, but he goes on, which is not permitted under the law even. He's also recommending us not to do certain things which are treated as lawful among men. Whether you kill a man with a sword or a word makes no difference since killing itself is banned. And Lactanius says, no exception at all should be made to the rule that it is always wrong to kill a man whom God has wished to be regarded as a sacrosanct creature. So about a hundred years after Rome embraced the Christian religion, we see much has changed. Uh, a century later, it was illegal not to be a Christian, and there was an exception for, for, for Jews, but, but you, could, you couldn't even serve in the military a century after the change we're going to be looking at uh, uh, unless you were a Christian. You weren't trusted as, as loyal to the empire unless you were a, a, a Christian. So how did Christianity get from what we just read in these early uh, church fathers— to to uh, the that point where where you're not a loyal member of the empire and you can't even be in the military unless you're a Christian. Well, on October 28, uh, 312 CE, Constantine was engaged in the Battle of the Milvan Bridge against his rival Roman Emperor uh, Maxentius. I think I'm pronouncing that right. But Lactanius he recounts that on the evening of October 27, that's just prior to the battle, the eve of the battle. He said Constantine had a vision of the Christian God promising victory if his soldiers daubed the sign of the cross on their shields. And, and the details of the vision, they differ uh, among sources that are reporting it, but Lactanius reports that the vision promised victory if Constantine would delineate the heavenly sign, and, and he describes it as the letter X with a perpendicular line through it uh, and, turn, and a turned rounded uh, top uh, being the cipher of Christ on the shields of the soldiers. You can see this in his on the death of uh, deaths of persecutors, chapter 44. And Eusebius also, he reports that the sign God instructed them to use on their shields was the Cairo symbol. And these reports of Constantine's vision, even though they differ on details, they basically state that, that he saw a cross, a cross of light with the inscription, through this sign, you shall conquer. And there are various theories out there today about these reports. Some view these visions as legend with absolutely no historical basis. Others believe Constantine made the story up after the fact that he was a great political strategist and he saw it as a way to co-opt Christianity's influence by uniting Christianity in Rome. And even 
each theory, though, remember, it's just speculation, including the popular historical interpretation that the vision was was genuine and that Jesus actually supported Roman conquest, conquests. Um, what we know for sure is that what happened within Christianity um, after this period was stark. The, the Christian church's social location, it changed dramatically. And what happens to individuals and communities that that transition from have not to to becoming a have that transition that change it continues to amaze me watch what happens constantine declares christianity to be a religio licita which is a, a legal religion it was the religion of, of of rome now through the edict of milan and he 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 lavished gifts upon all the church leaders he increases their salaries he exempts them from paying taxes. He, he builds ch- church. He spends Rome, uh, empire funds to build church buildings, and he funds Bible copying. And through this support, the church became centered in a building rather than an institution, rather than a group of people. And 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 and, and crucifixion and and gladiatorial gladiator games they, they 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 were abolished too because of their connection with Christian victimization and, and trauma. The first day of the week it. It was declared to be a, a weekly holiday for all people, and the Christian's calendar, it, the, that Christian calendar just absorbed uh, pagan holidays. Pagan temples were converted into Christian churches, and, and, and statues of Roman gods were replaced by statues of the apostles and, and other biblical characters, and eventually Christianity is becoming the official religion of the Roman Empire. That would lead to new theological and ethical interpretations as well as new practices too. Augustine, Eusebius, and others, they began to see Christianity's new social location and its political power as having been handed to them by God himself, they said. And for the first time in history, um, uh, Christians began wielding a a sword in Jesus's name. And and in the subsequent centuries, we we would get a, a brand new Christian norm. There's a brand new form of Christianity that comes out of this. This is uh, uh, Jacques de Vitry. He writes, when people falsely assert, this is after the change, when people falsely assert that you are not allowed to take up the physical sword or fight bodily against the enemies of the church, it is the devil trying to attack the fabric of your order. What I want you to notice here is that the nonviolent teachings of Jesus had come to be redefined as of the devil. This is John of Mantua. He says, do not be ashamed, O bride of heaven, to take up the sword against heretics, for God still lives who sanctified such action through the arms of David. Now notice that reference to David there. Jesus' nonviolence, it would be sidelined, and, and, and the example of more violent figure, figures from the scriptures, like David, would begin to take center stage. Military leaders like David and Joshua and others, they became the models of the Christian faith. And Christians, like the majority of evangelical today, they even embraced bodily torture. Pope Innocent IV, he once wrote that bodily torture has been found the most salutary and efficient means of leading to spiritual repentance. So through the church and the state becoming unified, through the social location of Christianity being changed uh, from being lower class to being in a controlling privileged class, violence, Christian violence in the defense of both the church and the state 
it became justified. And some of the greatest minds in Christianity would come up with biblical support for this, this turn. Augustine, who was a, a bright theological mind in his time, he developed and defended a justified violence theory for Christians that was based upon existing Roman and Greek thought. Christians were now encouraged to join the army and become involved in the government, and violence could be used as, as God's instrument to punish evildoers, and, and they used texts like Romans 13, 1 through 7 to justify it. And Augustine saw punishment as a, a, a more justifiable motive than even self-defense. So, so, so by 416 CE, all the Roman soldiers were required to be Christians. Up until this time, pagan had simply meant civilian as opposed to soldier, but it came to mean non-Christian as opposed to, to believer. And here's a sampling of, of the new Augustinian teaching. He wrote, War is waged to serve the peace. You must, therefore, be a peacemaker, even to the waging of war, so that by our conquest, you may lead those you subdue to the enjoyment of peace. And, and again, peace as an end, it was separated from peace as the means, and war was, was doing others a favor, Augustine said. He said, what indeed is wrong with war, that people die who will eventually die anyway, so that those who survive may be subdued in peace? A coward complains of this, but, but it does not bother religious people. In other words, religious people shouldn't complain that people die in war. They're going to die anyway. And, 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 and those who survive, they're subdued. He, Augustine goes on, does anyone doubt that it's preferable? This is not just about peace now. He transits into converting non-Christians. Does anyone doubt that it's preferable for people to be drawn to worship God by teaching? rather than forced by fear of punishment or by pain. But because the one type of people is better, it does not mean that the others who are not of that type ought to be ignored. What he's saying is, sure, it's better that some people become Christian through teachings, but just because some people won't become a Christian until they're tortured into it, we shouldn't ignore those people. We should go ahead and torture them. Augustine taught that, yes, it's better for people to come to worship the Christian God on their own rather than being tortured or threatened with violence. But just because some will choose the Christian God on their own doesn't mean that we shouldn't force others to worship. This is, from our vantage point today, this is hard, honestly, for me to fathom. This is a complete disconnect from the teachings of Jesus. Augustine's writings... They turn more and more to the Bible and to desperate attempts to find some clue in in Jesus's teachings that, that Jesus really didn't mean what he taught on nonviolence and enemy love. Augustine also exhibited, and this is key, a, a dualistic kind of platonic Hellenistic Greek thinking, which sees the body as separate from an immortal soul. And this was in contrast to the original more holistic philosophy of Christianity that was rooted in ancient Hebrew culture that, that, that saw the person as a whole being. But with this dualistic view, this body and soul, you could do what whatever was necessary to someone's body if it saved their soul. So killing someone could be justified if that was how you saved their soul. Augustine taught that it was acceptable even to run your enemies through with a sword as long as you didn't kill them with hatred in your heart. 
as long as you were killing them in love. Stop and think about that. Because Jesus taught us to love our enemies. So love them while you kill them. Augustine developed and he systematized a, a, a religious philosophy that justified saving souls at any cost, even by means of torture and violence. And Augustine taught that that, that Christians should, should respond to torturing confessions out of others by, he said, crying fountains of tears for this necessary state of affairs. But never once did he stop to consider that torture itself might be wrong. And this was the origin of Christianity embracing this theory of, of justified violence in the form of Augustine's just war theory. It was, And today it's supported by contemporary Americanized evangelicals worldview. Today we live in, a, in the wake of all these changes. Changes. Christianity and, and its Jesus, it fell in the same way that all the other religions taken in by Rome did. When Rome embraced the Greek gods, remember, their appearance in the pictures, their statues, all of that changed under the Roman influence. One example is Zeus. Under Roman influence, Zeus, who was Greek, became Jupiter, uh, the Roman. And, and, and it wasn't just their names that changed. Their attributes attributes changed too. Under Rome, the Greek gods, they became more more war like more distant, not not uh, mingling with mortals as much. They, they became harsher, more powerful. They came to to stand for discipline and honor and strength and violence. And and one example is Hypnos. Uh, Hypnos was a Greek god of sleep, and he didn't do much until he became Romanized. The Romans called him Somnus, and he liked killing people who didn't stay alert at their jobs. If they nodded off at the wrong time, they never woke up. And we see this same pattern taking place as Rome remade the Christian God Jesus. If the bloody violence of Christianity's history has taught us anything, it's that we have to question the Christian theory of justified violence, including, and we're going to talk about this, redemptive violence. Next week, we'll begin unpacking our first passage in this series from the Gospels, from the actual teachings of Jesus in the Gospels. But, but what could Jesus have meant when he taught uh, to, to turn the other cheek? To, to walk the extra mile, to strip off one's uh, uh, undergarment, and, and, and to give that to those who are trying to take your coat too. Thanks for staying with us during this series. We've got a lot more ground to cover. Heart group application this week. Number one, what value do you see in Christians specifically returning to uh, an ethic of nonviolence within our society today? What would that do? What, what value would that be for Christians? And I want you to explain that with your group. What changes would it make? Number two, in what ways do you see American values today influencing sectors of Christianity and Christian rhetoric as Roman values did in, in the above history we just spoke about? Number three, where do you see the values and ethics of, of the Jesus story being in contradiction with uh, current practices of the American empire today and, or its leadership. Thanks for checking in with us this week. Wherever you are, keep choosing love, compassion, action, reparative and distributive justice. Another world is possible if we choose it. I believe that not only is another Christianity possible, but another world is too. Don't forget, we need your support here at Renewed Heart Ministries to continue making a difference. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.